Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. If you've got your Bibles with you, if you could uh, turn to chapter 2 of Colossians, uh, verse 16. Uh, We're going to be looking at uh, what it means to be a Christian in light of the way that man likes to take over the world. And I I don't mean in a a pinky-in-the-brain style taking over of the world. If if there's a pinky-in-the-brain sort of resound with anyone, no, there's something of my generation, basically a couple of lab mice that uh, every evening like to try and take over the world. That's the pinky and the brain style taking over the world. They are, uh, they, they do it by a means that are unquestionably elaborate and uh, ultimately quite violent, but that's cartoons for you. I'm, uh, I'm talking about control of us as people, uh, about winning respect or, or confidence of others through fear or discipline or however else you might want to, uh, to view it. And I don't mean sort of Hitler style you know, let's get a few million people, kill them, let's show them who's boss. But I mean more of the Richard Dawkins style. You're wrong, listen to me. Now, some of the most influential people in, history, in the history of the world have become so through a weapon far more damaging than a gun or knife or bomb. It's, it's through the tongue. Now, if you can bear this in mind as we read from the Bible, uh, freedom from human rules. Therefore, Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regards to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. I was at uh, Rossington High School, uh, years 7 through to 9. I was uh, about 13 years old when, uh, when this happened. Um, I was playing football during a PE lesson. And they had that, uh, that system where, you know, your captain, your captain, choose the teams. And this person will choose one, this person will choose one, this person will choose one. And it's a cold day, it's, uh, it's uh, frost all over the place, and we're all in short t-shirts, and I'm not very good at football. I, I don't really want to be picked for this, but I've got to anyway. And there's about, there's about three different games going to be going on. And I stand there amongst the group that are being picked. And this captain, he picks this one, and this captain picks this one, and ultimately I'm the last one picked, as one would expect, because I'm short and I'm fat, and no one really wants me on their team. <laughs> Who said that? Oh. Yeah. yeah, I know, I know. You're just weird. <laughs> it's the truth. Anyway, so I'm the last person there, and the captain looks at me and says, oh, no, I'm not him. Oh, fine, come on then. 
And he, ta he takes me up to one side, away from everyone else, who's good at football, he takes me up to one side, and he says, now look, Joel, uh, do you know how to play football? And I said, well, yeah, yeah, you get the ball from there, and you put it in the big goal over there, is that right? He says, yes, uh, but uh, I want you to do it this way, right? When you get the ball, pass it to me. He said, uh, if you have any ideas about what you want to do on the pitch, you know, just, uh, just run it by me first, all right? Because, you know, I'm the captain. Okay, fine. Yeah, right. Okay. And he said, oh, oh by the way, you, uh, you might experience things like this. And with his football boots on, bear in mind, you know how hard they can be. He wallet me right in the front of the leg, right in the ship. And it hurt. You know, I, I swear, I mean, you know football boots. I bet you've been kicked a couple of times, haven't you? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, only a little. You see, this, this guy, he wallet me. And I'm only 13, you know, I'm interested in tears. Anyway, he went off and he played football, and we played football, and I did it his way. Now, you might look at that and you think, uh, it might be bullying, and yes, uh, perhaps, you're, perhaps you're right. I mean, one person wanted his own way, uh, and he used verbal and physical means in order to get that. I mean, yeah, I can understand that. He, he didn't know what my football skills were like, really, but he insisted that I change them to suit his wants and needs. And he used violence in order to do that. And no, I wasn't particularly good at football, but, I mean, he wasn't to know that, really. I mean, not only that, but kicking my leg isn't going to help. The last thing he needs is a hobbling midfield. But was it because that was how he wanted, to play, how he wanted the, the game to be played? Or was he just exerting dominance over me? Or was it a bit of both? And if we parallel uh, that example with this, uh, therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. I mean, these are very specific things, aren't they? You know, they're, they're a direct relation to the religious beliefs that were prominent in the Old Testament, you know, before the crucifixion. They were things that were done weekly, monthly, annually. You know, all the Colossians, and I say all, because there were those who seemed unsure of the meaning behind the crucifixion, and there were those who downright struggled with it, sorry, who downright ignored it, sorry, and, and put into action that which meant nothing. Now, all the Colossians were struggling with the fact that these were things that at one time were of full interest to Christianity as a religion. But now, after the sacrifice of God's Son, it didn't matter. Who cared? In Romans 14, it says, You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we'll all stand before God's judgment seat. It's written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. How often have we had times when we feel so full of God that you know, we're relaxed enough to take things at an easy pace, you know, if the bolognese burns to the bottom of the pan, you think, hey, it's no big deal. I got God and he's given me food, albeit burned. Or mischief night comes around. Someone's let your tyres down, like happened with us last November. And we're standing in the middle of the rain, changing it for the spare. Have you ever thought to yourself, you know, inconvenient though this is, I've got God and he's given me transport, albeit without a tyre. It doesn't matter, who cares? Because God's got it in hand. These examples are slightly different from those experienced by the Colossians. You know, they weren't really having tr 
troubles in the sense that their lives were disrupted slightly by odd hiccups here and there. It's not like they were pulling their hair out trying to find the keys to the stable door or tripping over fluffy toys. These guys weren't assured enough in themselves to say, actually, we've got God. Now these things that people tell us to do regarding stuff of the earth has no bearing on my life at all. Doubt ruled their lives. And doubt is a horrible thing. Because it means that you think you might be wrong. But the simplicity of the gospel lends itself to doubt. That's the problem. It's so simple to be a child of God because it's a gift. It isn't something earned. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For it's by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. But it's a hard thing to comprehend. Some people don't feel that it's enough. And so they return to what they knew worked before in pleasing God. Some people don't like the idea of equality among fellow Christians and they begin a quest for power. Whatever it was that these troublemakers had issues with, it meant that the lives of the Colossians were disrupted by legalism, enforced by man, which can engulf life and stop that relationship with the Holy Spirit dead in its tracks. Now my old pal at Rosalton High School, he wasn't really my pal because he kicked me in the leg, but he displayed dominance in telling me how the game has played his way. His way is not my way. So if I have an idea of strategy on the pitch, I run it by him first. If I get the ball, I make sure I pass it to him. He is the be-all and end-all of this football match for me. And that's exactly what these people in Colossae were struggling with. Other people displaying dominance over their faith. These guys weren't so much becoming the centre of Christian faith, but they were leading the faith into their own preference. No, the bully at school says, you think you know football? You don't. In Colossae, the legalist said, you think you know Christianity? You don't. You don't do that, you do this, you don't eat that, you eat this, you don't drink that, you drink this, you don't wear that, you wear this. Well, we should remind ourselves, actually, of Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Times change. People change. Cultures change. And all through it, those with beliefs, they cry out to God. And most people hear back. But some, not necessarily truthfully. And I'm not accusing anyone, certainly not anyone in this church. But I am saying that there are contradictions, biblical contradictions, taking place in this day and age. And it's being allowed to happen because people are saying that God will be happy with it. And other people are influenced enough to say... Well, hey, if God says it's all right, then it must be all right. And thank goodness for that, because the church has been getting a lot of bad press recently for not agreeing with the way that the world works. I mean, good on you, God. Galatians 5, verse 7 says, You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion doesn't come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough, and I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. There's a bloke in uh, Miami. He has a church in Miami, he might not be there. But he has a church in Miami, among other places, and he's taught people about the word of God. And millions of people across North and Central America come to listen to him. He's found the hearts and minds of millions of people and may have changed their lives forever 
Does anyone know who that might be? No, I think so. That man is Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda. Still black faces. I'll tell you what. He is the second coming. Confusion across your faces. Originally from Puerto Rico, this guy had a vision from the Lord that he was Jesus Christ and so went out like a lamb among wolves and he is now a multi-millionaire after all the donations that people have given him over the years. Now that borders more on false prophets or indeed false saviors. But you can see how someone's mind can be turned if they aren't assured of their faith in God. I mean to blow this Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda out of the border, read Revelation. Something tells me that when Jesus comes back, he ain't going to be driving a Porsche. Yet these people across America and all over the place, they seem to think this Jesus wants their money for his own well-being. That isn't how it should be. People shouldn't tell you what to eat and drink. Just like they shouldn't tell you what constitutes a good leader of the Christian faith and what doesn't. Whether that's through ignorance of uh, the events in the Bible or through self-ranking superiority over people who are lacking in faith and desperate for a sign. But how do I know that you aren't doing the same thing, John? I hear you say. You're telling me things that you say are the right way, but they actually aren't. There are a few ways that you can go about this. The most effective way is like this. Owen said at the start of uh, this school term, in the first preach, he said, talk to me about it. If you don't agree, we'll talk about it. We'll incorporate the scripture. Because what I say needs to be backed up by the word of God. If it isn't backed up by the word of God, I'm making it up. And thereby becoming like the people in Colossians, who told others what to eat and drink, what to do on the Sabbath, festivals. And yeah, that goes for any person who comes up here and speaks to you. We need to get it right. And it's an easy mistake to make. I mean, I'm standing up here preaching to you, and I'm, I hope that you'll go away and ponder on it, you know, and perhaps change your life because of it. I mean, that's the power of the word. I incorporate my own opinion into that, like the chaps in Colossi did, and suddenly, I'm playing with fire. I mean, to return to the title of the preach, shadows and substance, what here constitutes a shadow and what a substance? These are a shadow of the things that were to come. A shadow of the things that were to come. That is to say that there were things that were going to happen, but they're not now. They are shadows as they never came to true fruition. Had Christ's sacrifice not stopped them, we would still be performing these things today. That is, celebrating various festivals and the like. I mean, it's almost like uh, a Christmas carol. You know, where Ebenezer Scrooge is visited by the three ghosts of the various tenses of time within which he sees his own life. And he, he sees how he was, you know, miserable, independent, lonely, every day getting angrier and angrier. He sees how he is now in the eyes of the people he knows and is associated with. He sees how he'll be remembered in the future. Not to mention the fact that he'll be sitting in hell with Jacob Marley. But for us it's slightly different. See, at the end of A Christmas Carol, Scrooge has the ability to change who he is to become a better person in the future. But we don't. Our only ability that will change our future is to love. 
and to hold on to hope and faith. The rest is Jesus. See, the guys in Colossae hadn't come to terms with this, and so they were easily swayed by people who were saying that there is no way that God will see favour on you for doing nothing but love. You need to give your time and effort in everything you do, every day of your life. That involves being obedient to the laws that were prominent in the Old Testament, the Sabbath, the festivals, reading the scriptures regularly, eating and drinking, etc, etc, etc. But quite frankly, as far as I'm concerned, I don't want to eat and drink particular things. I don't want to obey the laws that mean little in comparison to the sacrifice of God's Son. I don't want to be sitting in church six days a week at eight hours a time, just there. I mean, certainly not with the summer that we've had. I mean, I struggle with prayer and fasting. That's just two days. Two days of prayer and fasting. It's a killer. Jesus said that he came that we may have life and have it to the full. And I doubt that that constitutes following all the rules that man's laid down for God's benefit. When I was at university, um, I was living in a house with uh, two people, Emma and Craig. And some of you will have met Craig. Um, and we were just sitting down watching a film, talking, I can't remember. And suddenly something pops into my head. I have this idea. And it's a fantastic idea. I can't figure out why no one has ever thought of it before. And I, I think, right, I'm going to spread this out. I'm going to tell Emma and Craig, let's do it. And I say to them, Emma, Craig, do you fancy doing something? They said, yeah. I said, let's get, out, get the bikes out. Let's go for a cycle out to the edge of a field somewhere. Yeah, on the, on the outskirts of Bedford. Let's grab a goat or a sheep or, or something that bleeds. And let, let's strap it onto the bikes, and let's cycle home, and we'll go into the basement, and, let, and we'll, we'll set up like a little altar thing, and let's kill it. Let's sacrifice this goat to God. And they said, as they so often did in those days, shut up. <laughs> Not least is killing a lamb for the sake of God a messy business, but it's also completely unnecessary. Jesus gave his life for us. God sacrifices son, the lamb, so that we won't have to sacrifice anything ever again. When Jesus died, mass killings of farm animals became null and void. It meant nothing. So when I suggested it to Emma and Craig, they had to run for the whole race behind the death of Jesus again. I'm not stupid. I just didn't, wasn't really thinking clearly that day. <laughs> the guys at Colossae probably felt that tradition was being broken. And it didn't feel right to give nothing to God. But I mean, that's grace for you, isn't it? Overwhelming grace. Like I said earlier, it's hard to comprehend that it's a gift from God. The fact that all we need to do to get to heaven is to give our lives to Jesus is a bugbear in some people's minds. They feel we should be doing more, so man creates things to make us feel like we're doing more for God. But it means nothing. I mean, spending eight hours in church praying because because you have to, is not what God wants. I mean, imagine it for yourself. I would rather have Roger spend an hour landscaping my garden because he wants to, than have him do it for eight hours not wanting to. I mean, you can't force these things on people. You can't say, you have to lead worship, help the youth. You've got to go to the small group, take the kids during the service, serve the teas and coffees, do the treasure hunt, help with the, the library, spend five hours on doing solid Bible reading every day. Because if you don't do any of that, you can't possibly be a Christian, and you're not going to get into heaven. And hey, to be told that, wouldn't be nearly so bad compared to what the Colossians got. 
Because as it says, they were being told to put focus into things that are all destined to perish with use. They're based merely on human commands and teachings. Jesus knocked tradition out of these people's hands. And instead of taking his, they picked up tradition again. If we continue in tradition, what's the point of the crucifixion? Finding an, an analogy of this is uh, quite easy, actually, because it's basically finding something you didn't actually need to do. I mean, it could be anything, but I chose this. Uh, I've been reading a book recently called The Man Who Never Was. Uh, it's about Operation Mincemeat back in World War II. And the idea was that the British fabricate false information uh, to the Germans about where, uh, where they were planning to ne- attack next via a dead body that they set up off the coast of Spain. And this act saved them. You know, it went a long way to winning the war. I mean, to use the analogy that, uh, you know, winning God's favour was like winning a war, if that act had happened before the crucifixion, it would have worked a charm. But if it had happened afterwards, what would have been the point? It was like the British sending a dead body off the coast of Spain when the war's already won. That seems silly. It's pointless. It's time and effort gone into something that didn't need it. Time and effort that could have gone into rebuilding lives around them. I mean, the Colossians were being persuaded by those who weren't fully convinced that this war was, had been won to involve themselves in things of the past. And it seemed to be getting at them quite badly. These people were being judged, and we all know how that feels. It's like old people who tell young people, you don't do that in this day and age. But they make the assumption that this day and age is still their day and age, but it isn't. Matthew chapter 7 says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured with, to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You're a hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Don't give God's what's sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces, which is not a pleasant thing to happen. How do we apply this to our lives? I mean, I think it's a question of remembering. Remembering the sacrifice that was made at the cross. It's a question of reading the Bible often, no matter how dull Numbers is. A boring book. It's a question of praying daily, if not more. Not only for the things in your life, not the things in, in others' lives, but also for God to move in on a very real level. Because that's a true faith booster, isn't it? When God moves in our lives. It leaves no room for doubt. Put all your faith in God. Be mindful of the word. And remember the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because then people have no place to judge you. They have no place to tell you how to lead your life. You will be assured of where you stand in God. Christ has resolved it all. And God will be the judge. I'm going to leave you with uh, this uh, chapter from Hebrews 10. Uh, this, this, uh, this chunk here. Because I think it, it sort of um, explains biblically what I'm on about. Christ's sacrifice once for all. 
story is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, while the same sacrifice is repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all. They would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me, with burnt offerings and sin offerings. You were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am, it's written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them that they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, Here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. And this is where the application part comes in. A call to persevere in faith. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. And with the full assurance that faith brings, uh, that faith brings, sorry, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. I'm going to say that again. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Remember those earlier days after you received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk.